just focus on yourself. And again, that's not selfish. That is selfless. That's the highest act of service. Get your shit together. Get yourself in order. Come to a place where you have real love and respect for the, for yourself. That's the greatest offering you can make. Did you know I teach a course exactly about sex? It's called Please Her in Bed, and it's based on all of my sex research asking women, what do the men who are best in bed do? I asked over a thousand women, 1,067 to be precise, and then I put together this course. Here are a few responses from men who've taken it. I almost immediately started seeing a woman shortly after the course. She is open and all over me. And we've had sex. Before the course, I hadn't had intercourse in about two years. And I found that a couple of men have said this where they've taken the course and then they've started having sex with a woman. And I think it's because their confidence levels went up because they finally felt like they actually knew what they were doing. Here's another man who was married when he started taking it. I took the course hoping to establish a closer relationship with my wife of over 20 years. Our sex life was always vanilla, but lately it had dwindled to less than once a month and not particularly satisfying for either of us. Since the course, however, our sex life has improved considerably. Now I feel way more confident about my ability to connect with my wife and make the experience satisfying for both of us. I've always loved her, but feel like I'm falling in love with her again after 25 years. If you're interested in hearing more, go to pleaseherinbed.com and the course is listed for $97, but if you're a podcast listener and you use code DEARMEN, that's all one word, DEARMEN, you can get it for 69. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. I am excited to be on this topic today because this feels like something that a lot of us think about and talk about or maybe don't talk about, but feel, which is the subject of vitality and especially masculine vitality, right? And um I think a lot of us, you know, it's winter right now. A lot of us can probably relate to the feeling of dragging or maybe not having as much energy as we wish we did. And you are an energy expert. So I'm pleased to welcome Michael Holt. Thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Michael is a holistic health practitioner and masculine vitality expert. And I'm excited to, yeah, just hear more about you and your background and kind of how you got into this, because I have a feeling that might relate to the, how you guide your clients through getting to more vitality from perhaps mm-hmm. a place not so much. Sure. <laughs> so how did, you, how did you get here? Oh, I was just in a, a, a complete, I'd made a complete mess of my life. <laughs> Struggling uh, with emotional disturbances, real world, real life complications. Um, it seemed that my mind had a mind of its own and there was things that I wanted to do and wanted to avoid, but my mind wanted to do things and not avoid those things. And life just became very, very challenging, really. Like, I mean, I'm going back, back years and years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago, but um, I've had teachers who have described Deep spiritual inquiry typically comes from two populations. If you extrapolate everybody along a bell curve, most people are in the middle where life is not so good, life is not so bad. Things are generally neutral and it doesn't really catalyze a deep inquiry. But at the extremes of that bell curve are people who seem to have it all and people who are really, really suffering. I was of the population who was really suffering. And so it just birthed this real, it catalyzed this real deep inquiry into how to get myself in order. And so it set me down a path of physical well-being, exercise, martial art, breath work, you know, cold exposure, um, meditation, long meditation retreats, studying with great teachers. And over the course of time, there was no quick fix, but it was this kind of just gradual up leveling of my baseline of vitality, my capacity to understand myself and feel my emotions and be with them skillfully. 
and to direct my mind toward behaviors that serve my purpose. And now I've been able to distill all of those principles and practices into bite-sized pieces that a man can manage and make the shifts required so that, you know, it's really about architecting a daily life that when you're, when you go to bed at night, you have a little bit more energy than you did when you woke up in the morning and, you know, highly functioning people, um, they, they're cultivating a little bit more energy than their life requires. And then that surplus is spiritual insight, you know, um, and creative power. And so most people, most men in the modern era, the responsibilities of their life demand more energy than they're cultivating. And if, if you're living in a deficit, then a few things are bound to happen sooner or later. You start to resent your responsibilities. You become anxious or depressed around your life generally, or you get sick. And um, that doesn't that that is very much the norm in the modern era, but it doesn't have to be. And if you would want to step outside of that and claim real vitality, you just have to do things that most people don't do. <laughs> That's a great quote. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> you know, I really love several things you said there, and I, this has been on my heart a lot recently. And you know, one of the things that I would say. Yeah, significant portion of our clients um, come in with some level of depression or anxiety or both. And it definitely feels like the majority of people I know are content with some version of that. So it's not, you know, just a small population, many, many people. And there are a lot of directions we could go, but something that caught my attention was you mentioned your emotional health and well-being and where you went personally in that in that realm. And one of the things I've observed about men in my life as well as my clients, so people I know men I know personally as well as in my clients is that it ta- it actually takes a tremendous amount of energy to contain grief. Oh yeah. Or, you know, unfelt, unprocessed emotions that I I witness a lot of men kind of, it's like, it's it's like requiring a lot of energy and management and attention to, to kind of not feel those and not go there. And I think that's kind of missed, like a lot of them don't realize they, they know they're tired. They know they're anxious. They know they're stressed. They can name these kinds of things, but they don't know that under it is this kind of well of unfelt stuff. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey in 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 terms of that part? What was sure. that like for you, you know, how did you figure that out? How did you process, you know, what what did that look like for you? So, uh, I couldn't agree more with what you just said and this is a a theme that comes up in my work often. I won't go on a huge rant about emotion, but you know, we go through life and we collect you know, the human experience, we're going to encounter hard times, trauma, capital T trauma, big, big things, or just lowercase t trauma. Just those everyday things that you encounter through life that start when you're a child. Sometimes they exceed our capacity to metabolize as they occur. And so they're stored in our body for later processing. But that process just keeps happening. And we just keep collecting stuff. And to your point, it takes an enormous amount of vital energy to hold all of that gunk in and down. And when you start to engage the principles and practices that allow for the very natural upwelling and release of those stored somaticized emotions, you have a reservoir of vital energy that now was formerly tied up in keeping that stuff in and down is now available. I have teachers who are in their middle 70s, 80s, who bounce around with big, bright eyes, writing books, teaching retreats, because they are empty vessels. There's nothing sticking to them anymore. And that's available to anybody who would just engage the training. You know, it is 100% possible to let that stuff go. And with my work with men, you know, I'll often remind them that actually turning toward all that gunk and allowing it to be as it is and allowing it to release in its own time 
is the warrior's work, really. You know, it's really in, in a culture where we are encouraged constantly to uh, distract ourselves. Uh, the, the primary emotional regulation strategy of this culture is distraction. And so in a culture where distraction is encouraged to turn toward, to turn radically toward and be in the shit, that is heroic. That's the warrior's work. So to any man who tells me that meditation is not for him, it's a little hippy dippy, airy fairy. I'll say, okay, try it for half hour for three days in a row. See what it requires of you. It's the real warrior's work. But I'll tell you a story. Years ago, I mentioned, you know, my life was just very difficult to manage. And meditation seemed like, well, I felt, oh, shit, I can give it a shot. It's not going to make my life any worse. Maybe it'll help. And it did help, I mean, tremendously in ways that I could never even have predicted. And so I sought out some teachers. I had, uh, I'm so lucky when I look back, the teachers that I just fell into their laps are like real deal, bona fide, enlightenment based teachers. And um, I feel like my path was divinely orchestrated. But anyway, I, I maintained a daily practice. You know, I did what I was taught to do. And my practice started to bear fruit very gradually. You know, just more spaciousness would emerge in my life. And so a meditation retreat seemed like a good idea. And so I went on a three-day meditation retreat, traditional Buddhist retreat, silent practice. At the time, it seemed like an insane thing to do. Really crazy, really edge. And, uh, you know, I, I often say there was no moment during the course of the retreat where the clouds parted, the sun came through, and everything was illuminated. It was mostly just three days of really going to battle with my own mind, of failing to maintain concentration, of trying to reestablish the practice over and over again, of questioning if I'd actually gone insane. Why am I in the desert with a bunch of these damn hippies? Oh my God, have I become a hippie? What's What happened to you, bro? You're from Philly. Oh my God. And so that was pretty much my experience. But I do remember one moment specifically walking from the meditation hall back to my dormitory and there was this woman walking toward me along a dirt road. She was another participant in the retreat. And my mind suggested to me the kickboxing combination that I would employ in the event that she attacked me. And in a moment of clarity, I just, you know, it's called, we call it metacognition, the capacity to mentalize or to reflect upon what you're thinking about. I said, what the hell? Why am I? preparing myself to enter combat with this woman on a meditation retreat. It's not likely that she's going to attack me. And it kind of, I pulled on this thread of what, why do I feel this need to defend myself? What am I defending myself from? Why am I so afraid? What happened to me? And it was through the container of the retreat that you allow yourself to get still and start to contact what is happening beneath the surface surface and just because you're not aware of what's happening beneath the surface doesn't mean that it's dictating your course of action in the world so the practice is to get still and to know yourself at deeper levels and then you're, you can more skillfully manage yourself and that's the practice of vitality managing yourself in a way that cultivates energy you know that's i think a really good example that story of noticing our everyday lived experience of defense defense yeah. defensiveness and when i say defensiveness i don't mean i'm not talking about an argument that i get defensive i'm talking about actually feeling oh wow i actually walk around afraid a lot yeah <laughs> kind of what we were saying about my understanding, I think, as I've grown older and worked with more people is actually most human beings are walking around afraid totally. of other people and situations most of the time, that the minority of the time. Yeah, and most of those situations are imagined situations, but the intelligence of our body cannot really tell the difference between an imagined scenario and a real scenario. So we spend most of our time the power of the mind unharnessed just pulls us out of the experience of the pleasant mo present moment where everything is okay. You know, everything is okay right now, most of the time. 
And we can create these doomsday scenarios that elicit afflictive emotions. And most of the time, and if you practice, you'll find this to be true. We are generating afflictive emotions using our imagination to spare us from feeling the emotions that are wanting to be released from our body that we're holding on to. So we are regulating afflictive, somaticized afflictive emotions by generating imagined afflictive emotions. And that's an exhausting way to go through life. Imagine how much energy that requires. So if you can train yourself to recognize that process and then prevent yourself from doing it, wow, you just went from a vitality level of like a three to a seven. Now, if you get your sleep in order, you drink enough water, you eat real food. Oh my God, you're starting to become a superhuman. People look at you and say, wow, I don't know what it is about you, but you're like, there's something about you. I say, yeah, well, I understand the principles of nature and I'm living according to them in a culture where no one else is doing that. You're going to stand out. <laughs> you're going to stand out. And that, I think another way, I'm, I'm wondering if you can maybe name what afflictive emotion is for, for folks so they have a sense of what that is. And yeah, I, I mean, uh, anger, yeah. fear, sadness, disgust, tension, anxiety, you know. All yeah. of the things that have you ever had the experience is just for listeners. Have you ever had the experience of thinking yourself into a shitty feeling? That would be an example of afflictive emotion. Right. And another word for that is worry, right? If you're worrying, then yeah. you're kind of exactly what you said. You're creating a scenario in your head that doesn't exist yet, mm-hmm. right? In some form. Mm-hmm. And then you're feeling bad <laughs> about yeah. it. Right? And for some people, it's worry. It could be anxiety. For other people, it could be anger. You know, some people can get themselves pretty riled up over shit that hasn't actually happened or things that might happen. And so then the inquiry becomes in a moment of waking up, you find yourself in this thought elaboration that is making you angry. And you ask yourself, what am I feeling? What's going on in my body underneath the anger? And then you can start to contact that flavor of emotion. And that'll give you an indicator that the next time you find yourself in some seemingly random thought elaboration that's making you angry, that has nothing to do with the present moment, you can discern that, okay, underneath of this thought, at the physical level of my living body, my body is wanting to release. I don't know what it is, but you'll have to find it out. Could be sadness, could be fear. And usually it's a flavor of emotion that in your family system was not really, it was never explicitly said that, hey, don't express this, but it was just kind of the vibe in the household. So yeah. some pe- some family systems, let's say sadness, for example, is like, we're going to sweep that under the rug, but we got no problem yelling at each other. So that would be an indicator for you that you've learned at a subtle level to regulate sadness by generating anger. And you start to become like a bit of a detective in your own emotional experience. And you, like I said, you uproot those unskillful strategies, implant skillful strategies, and you allow for the unwinding of that somaticized emotion that's living inside your body that's wanting to come out. In in Zen, in the Zen tradition, they call it the great unwinding. In the Tibetan tradition, they call it um, Dharma Dhatu exhaustion. But, you know, it might sound woo-woo, but everybody is carrying around bags of emotional gunk. But what we can do is allow for them to well up and be released. The bad news is it has to be felt. The good news is you're feeling it on the way out. And I have a teacher who always said, and I've found it to be true in my experience, if the release is very intense, like if it's a big unwinding, you're talking about about six seconds of whatever that flavor of emotion is, anger, fear, sadness, whatever. So if you can be in it for six seconds, you'll be lighter for it on the other side of the experience. But it happens quickly. I mean, the intelligence of your body feels this release of, we'll say it's sadness. And immediately there's some thought of, can you believe what that bitch said to me yesterday? (laughs) So these processes seem to be automatic and they're basically running on autopilot. But through deep practice, you can start to watch it happen in real time and then start to prevent it from happening. So in this way, emotional regulation is a cornerstone of up-leveling one's felt sense of vitality. Yeah. And I'm curious in your own experience, in your own process, if you can think back 
Mm-hmm. What what are just what maybe one example of this process? Because I think it was really telling what you said, and I find this with my clients a lot is there will be some memory or something, something will happen and there will almost be emotion. And then immediately there are thoughts coming and, or talkings happening or story stories are being told. There's, there's cognition that exactly to your point, essentially prevents the emotion from actually being felt or moving through the body. And we realize we're doing it. We, we don't realize that, Oh, that thing I do where I think is actually so that I won't express sadness or anger or grief in my body. And I really appreciate what you said about many times, the thing we don't want to feel the most is what was deemed unacceptable in our house, in our home, in our family of origin, whether that was said out loud or not, it was this emotion, not acceptable. If you express it or show it or name it or do anything with it, you won't belong to this family anymore. And family systems don't even realize they're doing it. This isn't, they're not like, we just got together and decided grief is unacceptable in our house. It doesn't work like that. Most of the time it's passed down. They got it from their parents. Their parents, you know, it came from somewhere, but they're doing what they were taught. And then they were taught, you know, chin up or, you know, boys don't cry or whatever story, toxic story was told, it's being passed down. And so they're, so it's not, they don't realize they're helping their kids become repressed, but that's basically what's happening. So I'm wondering if you have an example of, you know, you were in a meditation and then you actually felt or expressed or it got moved through your body so that you kind of purge is a word coming to mind for me of purging yeah. of this old gunk. Can you give us a little window into what that was like for you? Because I imagine yeah. it's disorienting. Well, I, can, I don't have to look so far back. I mean, I can look back to yesterday or even earlier today. Um, you know, I just want to say too, to your earlier point, you know, it's not these teachings around emotional regulation, emotional management that we get from our family system are, are never explicit. It's just absorbed. And of course, mommy and daddy aren't bad villains. Like you said, they learn from their parents who learn from their parents. And this stuff is just passed down through bloodlines until somebody undertakes the practices to wake up to it. And then a choice emerges where formerly there was only a compulsion. But in my experience, you know, yesterday I had a day where I could feel um, for whatever reason, nothing to do with my life presently as it is, but there was some releases of what my teacher would call the pool of poison and pain of these feelings of fear and sadness. And as you start to deepen your practice and cultivate somatic sensitivity, both from the formal sitting practice, and then there's movement practices, Tai Chi, Qigong, anything that really cultivates sensitivity to the felt sense of the body. And when your lifestyle is conducive to well-being, when you're eating real foods, when you're drinking enough H2O, when you're getting enough sleep, you know, the antenna of your body just comes more and more online. The human body is a is the most biologically attuned organism in the known universe, as long as you don't fuck it up. And modern cultural norms are are just fucking it up, you know. So we just have to. If you don't fuck it up, you have superpowers. You have extraordinary abilities. Extraordinary. They're baseline. They come. They're they're packaged. They come with the, with the meat soup. So we just bring them back online. And so in my experience. I'll say that I have a teacher who often talks about the way that we experience emotion. There's four ways that human beings experience emotion through attunement with another individual. We talked a bit about where you and I are at um, in conversation before this call. And I could feel, I got a felt sense in my body. What's up for you because you shared it. So in that moment we attuned and I could feel you. Okay. That's again, that's compassion. That that's stock that comes with the package. The other one is self-generated emotion. We talked about this a bit earlier. You can think your way into a shitty feeling. You can also think your way into a pretty good feeling, you know, uh, positive practices, heart practices, mantra-based meditations. So we can use the power of thought to elicit emotions in the body. Then there is the reaction to the conditions of the present moment. Something happens in the present moment. You see something that startles you and there's a feeling of fear. Okay, this is all very normal. And then the other one is what we've been talking about 
the stored somaticized emotions that live in the body that for whatever reason, through nothing to do with the condition of the present moment, are released from time to time. And as your emotional intelligence gets stronger, you can discern, or I, I'm speaking personally, I can discern whether a given emotional flavor of emotion is rooted in the present moment. Is it something that I'm thinking my way into? Is it something that I'm feeling from the people around me? Or is it something that is being released? And each flavor, there's a unique flavor to each one. So you asked me about my experience with letting go of afflictive emotion. So like I said yesterday, and this happens often, um, for no reason in the present moment, I was feeling just these waves of fear and sadness. And there is a very distinct flavor to them. It feels, you can feel like there's a, it almost feels like a muscular contraction, like in my belly. It just, there's a tightening and then all of a sudden there's a release. And it feels like this wave of fear. And like I said, if it's very intense, we're talking about six seconds. And so, you know, five, six seconds come and go, and then the emotion arises and passes, and I'm still here. And I didn't need to go upstairs into my brain and think some story to spare me from the feeling or to pick a fight with my partner. I don't have a partner, but I'm just kept coming up with a story. I mean, this is what people do. Or smoke marijuana. Or get shit face or get in a fist fight or, yep. or give someone the finger in traffic, of course. Or work. For some people, it's their the distraction is producing or be yeah. quote unquote being productive. I've seen I've witnessed people in my life turn towards what they do instead sure. of feeling what they're feeling. Or right. what they not felt. And, and just to be clear, distraction. Yeah. And just to be clear, nothing wrong with pouring yourself into your work, nothing wrong with smoking a bowl or having a drink. You know, sometimes skillful distraction is called for. But if distraction is all we're doing, then we are putting the lid back on a process that wants to unwind itself for our well being. So there's a place and a time for just being with what's happening. And not falling into this illusion that what is happening is rooted in the present moment. You know, and you can, you can absolutely, through the practice of connecting to the felt sense of the body, you can know for sure when a given flavor of emotion is the letting go of something old or if it's something to do with your life as it stands right now. And by the way, you don't even need to know what it is you're letting go of. You don't need to go into your brain and make up some story. Oh, this have been must have been that time when uh, Billy Joe stuffed me in the locker when I was in fourth grade. That's just thinking. I have a teacher who says with regard to these letting go of these somaticized emotions, it's like taking a quart of oil and then trying to figure out what kind of plants make it up. You're not going to be able to figure it out. It's just a mashup of a whole bunch of stuff that has happened over the course of years and years and years. So just let it go. Just feel it. Just be in it. Just let it go. And no, like I said, the bad news is you got to feel it. The good news is you feel it on the way out. And in my experience, I'm 38 years old now. I got more energy, more pep in my step. I can run laps around myself when I was 22 because I'm not carrying as much gunk as I used to carry. And because, you know, I implement a lot of whole lifestyle practices that are conducive to my physical well-being. But emotional well-being is a critical component of physical well-being. I'm just going to repeat that one more time for the people in the back. Emotional well-being is a critical component of physical well-being. And of course. something that does get missed, and we do have a mind-body split in our culture. We think of them as separate. And I think that we, I think in a way our culture looks down on the body versus the mind. We sort of place the mind as as up here and the body is down here and it truly is one organism. And I'm wondering if you can, you know, share a little bit about your experience of, because you guide men through this process, you guide them through essentially becoming more vital (laughs) in, in mindfulness. And do you have any examples, any sort of memorable examples of a man who, um, experienced some kind of release like we're talking about and then sort of saw results after 
And by results, I just mean feeling better, feeling lighter, feeling more vital, feeling more energy, feeling more alive, whatever the kind of payoff is. I have some examples from my clients as well, but do you have any memorable, like, wow, that, that guy went for it. He did it. And now there's market difference in how he's showing up. Yeah, I would say that's the standard experience of anybody that I've ever worked with one-on-one. I mean, that's my expectation. Um, Through the work that I offer, an individual is going to get much clearer on who they are, on what they're meant to do, and how to develop a lifestyle that's conducive to achieving the thing that they're meant to do. And that includes cleaning yourself up. So feeling, you know, learning how to feel. And learning how your emotional intelligence or lack thereof is constantly affecting every single relationship in your life. So, you know, nothing, your question, nothing specific springs to mind because the results that I've gotten in my private, in my one-on-one work, I don't want to toot my own horn, but they've been so extraordinary that it's just nothing really stands out anymore. I have complete confidence in what I do. And I think I'm the absolute best at what I do because I don't know anyone who does what I do because I'm just myself. I'm so lucky because I just get to be myself in my work. And all I do is teach people to do the things that I've done. Because like I said, I was so screwed up at a certain point in my life. I was such a such a mess. And I'm not sitting here claiming to be, you know, I still have work to do and I always will but I am a different man than I once was. And if I can do this, anybody can do this. I mean, I'm floored by some of the creative energy that moves through me and the vitality that I feel day to day, but there's nothing special about me. It's just, you just have to do the work. And I think because it's, because I've been in this work for, you know, 15 years, I can look back and make it more efficient for somebody. So. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I I was working with a client the other day and we were talking about, you know, relationships and the sort of feeling of being dropped. So this client has had a pattern of feeling dropped in relationship again and again and again. So dropped or betrayed have been themes throughout his process and basically his whole adult life. And we were talking about exactly what we're talking about here of the, the sense underneath, right? What is the feeling underneath? And it was actually during a meditation that he felt it and he, his report was heartbreak. I'm heartbroken. I'm heartbroken. And I think that a lot of times in our culture, we we like to fix things right away or at least try to fix things right away right so it's like oh you're heartbroken like let's soothe you let's you know let's make it better let's try and get you out of that feeling state yeah yeah My experience has always been oh you should go right into that like feel that to the depth of what's there move it through your body like be with that cuz that's the portal and the doorway to whatever's next for you is going into that and feeling it fully and engaging with it fully and then moving out of it when it's ready to be to be processed. And so one of the things we were talking about was um, people are pretty familiar with the term doula, someone that helps a woman give birth, someone that helps her with the process of giving birth, which can be scary, painful, confusing, just all just uncomfortable. Um, and a doula is there to help. We understand the doula doesn't do it for her, but they're with her along that way. And I was sort of likening some some coaching, some um, somatic therapy and somatic therapists to pain doulas that kind of help the pain come through and be witnessed and felt and engaged with and then released. Because sure. I guess what I'm what I'm what I notice in a lot of of men is that they don't quite know how to get there. Right. Like they might be listening to this and being like, that sounds really great. And like, I don't really know exactly what's stuck in my system. I do do some distractions. I can see that about myself. Sometimes it's porn and masturbation. Sometimes it's eating. Sometimes it's video games. Sometimes it's work. Like we said, you know, it can be any of these things. And they might sort of hear that and be like, yep, I recognize that. I can, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on your page, but they feel maybe a bit stuck about like, well, how do I actually 
do it? What does that, what does that mean? And I'm so I'm wondering, you know, in your process, do you feel like you, it sounds like a lot of the way you got there was through sitting practice and meditation. Did you have any pain doulas along the way, or does that feel like something that you also help men with is, uh, I feel like I feel stuck. I kind of feel, I can feel myself doing all these habitual patterns that you're describing, but I don't quite know how to get over the hump to do that deep work. Um, absolutely. So I think, you know, there's no secret. The first thing that you need is strong determination and discipline. It's not going to fall from the heavens and and all of a sudden you're just going to have all this energy to do the work. You know, the first thing required is just a gut check. Like, you know what? Life is short. The clock is ticking. If I want to be the man that I know I can be, I got to start today because there's no future moment where I'm going to get on this. And so, you know, this brings me to a point we can discuss, which is the name of my company, my living philosophy, my the real foundation of my work is what I call Savage and Saint. And it's this duality of a relentless determination to improve yourself and improve the world through your service in spite of all obstacles. That's savage. But that needs to be leavened by this deep capacity to accept yourself and the world exactly as it is right now with unconditional love. And if you can find the center point between those two, there's an enormous amount of productive energy there. So how do you get started? Well, this is what we talked about a bit earlier. You know, I have this 12-week course coming out and I've designed the curriculum specifically because in my personal healing journey and in the in the people who I work with, the men that I work with, there's this paralysis by analysis. There's so much information out there. Well, I got to, I got to do three minutes of cold exposure every day and 15 minutes of breath work. And I got to do Vipassana meditation, heart centered practices, and I got to fast and I got to make sure I go to sleep at seven 30. It's like, what? it's too much. I, I know that I got to do something, but I don't have the time or energy to do all of this. So I'm not going to do anything. So in my view, the priorities for health vitality are in order of their direct effect on your survival. So the first thing we want to address is consciousness through the contemplative practice of meditation. And meditation is one of those things that is a word that is so loosely defined. It means so many different things to so many different people that doesn't mean anything to anybody. And I've worked with people who I say, do you have meditation practice? And they say, yeah, I've been meditating for 10 years, but they're, they're not doing so well, you know? So I wonder, well, what the hell does meditation mean to you? It's like talking to somebody who's really morbidly obese and they're saying, yeah, I go to the gym five days a week and have for the past 15 years. Well, what the hell have you been doing in the gym? What does workout mean to you? So we need to define our terms. For me, meditation is a cultivation of specific attentional skills primarily concentration, clarity, and equanimity. And through very rudimentary techniques, you can really refine those skills. Um, Concentration is the staying power of the mind, the capacity to train the mind like a puppy to stay where you want it to stay and not wander. Um, Equanimity is what you were talking about earlier. It's like a pain doula that's built in. You can learn to be with increasing degrees of discomfort without needing to run away from them. That discomfort could be physical, could be an itch on your nose, it could be emotional. And it also, equanimity is also involved with pleasant emotional states because it's easy to think of equanimity as the capacity to be with something that's difficult. But as the practice deepens, you can absolutely cultivate positive feeling states and then you'll need to be equanimous with not clinging to them. So equanimity is this third option in between wanting something and pushing something away. It's really the capacity to accept reality on on reality's terms and not your terms. And that's really the foundation for a peaceful life. And then the third skill is clarity, to have a 
direct moment by moment experience of what's happening in your body mind to not be on autopilot or unconscious or sleepwalking through your life. Um, so that's the first thing that we want to address. We want to cultivate those skills. Then next to consciousness, the next most important thing that we want to have a look at that is directly correlated to your survival is breath. And you say, okay, well, I know how to breathe. I'm breathing now. Yeah, but if you look around and if you know what to look for, you find that most people are not good breathers. And if we extrapolate breath on a continuum, and at one extreme of the continuum, we have this <laughs> freaked out panic attack breath. And then the other end of the continuum, we have a fully embodied <sighs> full capacity inhale, full capacity exhale. There's a feeling state attached to both of those extremes. And so your homework becomes where. Where does my breath fall on that continuum of a fully embodied breath and a panic attack? And what is the underlying feeling state that I'm basically living in? Because the depth of your breath is communicating to the intelligence of your body how freaked out it should be about its survival. And a lot of people are very shallow breathers. And so they're in this constant state of there's not enough, there's not enough, there's not enough. And that manifests all kind of worries, all kind of thoughts around reasons why you feel this way, but the real reason is because you're not breathing. So you want to establish a functional breathing pattern. And then you find that the breath is a very interesting tool that you can leverage to influence the state of your nervous system to either upregulate or downregulate your nervous system. And you can breathe your way into some very profound peak spiritual experiences. And you can breathe yourself into a state where those emotional, that emotional residue that we hang on to, um, you can breathe yourself into what I call a very slippery state where those emotions just kind of leave. The breath is very profound. And uh, if you think about it, you know, it's the very first friend that greets you when you get here and the very last friend to say goodbye. So just by those two facts alone, it's worth spending some time with. And in my experience, you can absolutely breathe yourself into some pretty trippy states. You know, I have experience with the whole list of psychedelics and I have not encountered a substance that is more trippy than my own breath. And it's available to anybody who wants to go for a ride. And so consciousness, breath, then we're going to take a look at sleep. Um, then we're going to take a look at hydration, you know, the quality of your water, how much water. Then we're going to take a look at food. Then we're going to make sure that you're moving your body in a way that feels good to your body. It doesn't need to mean work out. doesn't mean, need to mean hardcore exercise. But if your daily life checks those six boxes, the state of your consciousness, the depth of your breath, the quality of your sleep, the quality of your hydrate, hydration, nutrition, and movement, 99.34% percent of your problems are going to dissolve <laughs> not all of them but a lot of them yeah and it's it's also um how you feel about them changes and that changes everything yes. you know? and and a very critical point that you just brought up so all of this healing work and all of this lifestyle management you know through the heart practices and through the contemplative practice and through this intention to contact the saintly side of yourself, not just the savage, because if you're going to live healthy in a culture that's not healthy, it's going to require savage discipline. You're going to have to remove yourself from cultural norms. That requires savagery. But the motivator to get yourself in order needs to be, I am worthy of love, my love and my respect. I need to be treating myself in a way that reflects that I am a king. I need to treat myself that in a way that is worthy of a king. It, it, that will get you way further than, oh, man, I need to lose 30 pounds. I don't like the way I look. I got to sign up for this course and, and give myself a strong kick in the ass and, and get going. You know, there's a time for that. There's a time for that rigid discipline, that gut check. 
but it must be motivated by love for yourself. And in my experience, when you get that, and that's a practice, that's a, that's a practice. And when you, when that practice becomes true for you, when you really love yourself, then living in a way that's healthy, there's no friction there. It just becomes kind of like a no brainer. It's like, yeah, I want the best for myself. I want my mind to be clear. I want my body to be healthy. I want to reach as many people as I can. So that requires that I take good care of myself. So vitality, you know, I work with a lot of guys, actors, entrepreneurs, all different works of life, but the base, the, the, the common denominator of all of their unique aspirations is that they need to be the best versions of themselves to do, to offer the world the best versions of their work. So whatever line of work you're in, whatever your purpose is, I promise you that your vitality, your level of vitality or lack thereof is either going to be what gets you to the next level or what prevents you from getting to the next level. And that's something that I think is missed in our culture is we are, our culture is very focused on the outside and outside achievements and do just do more work harder. It's still a Puritan base in the West. You know, Melanie, I'll just say real quick, I got a whole stable of clients who are doing very well. They have more money than they can spend, but they've worked themselves so hard that they feel like shit. They, they bought into this, I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of mentality. And then they got to call a guy like me who says, uh, I have everything I thought I wanted, but I gave my health away for it and I'm not happy. Yeah. So yeah, there's exactly. that whole sleep when I'm dead hustle mentality. That's for the birds. That's silly. And it's also dangerous because yeah. it does sap your energy. It does sap your health. And then there's this emptiness. I, I think some of the clients that we've worked with have reported this sort of sense of like, is this it? Is yeah. this it? Is this, is this, am I, is this how I'm supposed to feel? Because I so, don't feel very good. Yeah, I don't this feel is very alive. I don't feel like I'm going where I'm supposed to go, or I did, I checked all the boxes or I checked most of the boxes and I still kind of feel empty or I think there's more available in my relationship and I don't know how to get there. And I'm not sure, you know, that, that sense of, I don't, I wouldn't call it malaise exactly, but it's like emptiness or like this seeking of more thing, which in actuality there is, there is something healthy about that in the way that it's like, I sense that there is more, right? There's a pull towards, I feel like there is more, but there's also a sense of, yeah, you, our culture sucks. If you, if you do everything the culture says to get happy and it doesn't work, it's not a very good model versus yeah. cultures that do train young people and adults on how to go inside, how to connect, how to release stuck stuff, how to do what we're talking about from the beginning instead of, wait until you're 40 and you're having a breakdown and everything <laughs> it's terrible. Like then do the work, like what the hell is that? That's such a weird model actually, but they're yeah. the only way to do things, but it does feel like there is something that we in the West are coming back to or reclaiming around this conversation of realizing, Oh, we're doing it backwards. We actually need to do this kind of deep inner work. We need to do it first. We need to front load it. We need to actually this is the most important stuff. And then we kind of grow from there and we're able to express more authentically from there. And since we do have um, a number of folks listening that are going to be parents, I'm wondering if you can speak briefly to your experience working with folks that are bringing up the next generation. And are you finding that they're bringing this to their children or helping their children kind of feel their feelings, actually be with everything instead of sort of bring up another generation that has to do it in 20 years and, and spends their whole teenagehood feeling like shit. Yeah. I would say a common theme in my work with um, men who have children, you know, often they'll say, I want my, they'll have maybe a seven-year-old son or something. I want to, I want my son to start meditating. How can I get him to start meditating? And, I, and my advice is pretty uniformly, just forget about that altogether. Why don't you just make sure that you're doing your practice and then you, you will meditate him. You are constantly teaching your children how to be 24-7. And so the more you can access and stabilize a state that is of benefit for your own self, I mean, that can only ripple out into the collective, into your household, into the world at large. So 
I'm a bachelor. I don't have children. Um, but my, you know, the central theme in my work is get right with the man in the mirror, you know, take care of yourself and forget the idea that that is somehow selfish because actually getting right with the man in the glass, coming to a place where you can look at your reflection in the eye and say, and mean, I love you. I'm proud of you. I got your back. Keep going. That is the greatest gift that you can give to the people in your life who depend upon you. So my work is about self-mastery, is about the relationship with yourself. And the stronger that relationship is, then the stronger your relationship with your wife is going to be, with your partner is going to be, with your people you worked with, with your children, with all of it. But start small. You know, I had a bit of a radical kind of, I'm a radical individual. I'm a revolutionary kind of a person. It's always been, I've always had a real problem with authority and uh, it's, it's just part of my spirit. And so as a youngster, I went through like a whole thing of like, uh, you know, I was a militant atheist and capitalism was evil. And I just had so much rage in me about these structures that I couldn't, that I felt were oppressing us. Um, then in my older years, you know, you kind of soften and you recognize, wow, the real revolution the real revolution is to clear your mind and open your heart is to take total responsibility for the one body mind that you can guide your own. And in doing that, you're, you will have an effect on the world. You will have an effect on your son, your daughter, you will have an effect on your household, but the revolution starts right here. And uh, if everyone would claim that responsibility, you know, the world would change, but we can't, waste time wanting other people to be any other than what they are just focus on yourself and again that's not selfish that is selfless that's the highest act of service get your shit together get yourself in order come to a place where you have real love and respect for the for yourself that's the greatest offering you can make and then bring that love and respect for yourself into the world through action of the way that you govern yourself and inspire other people to do the same. I really appreciate that order, right? The order in which we do things, because it does feel like many people I know are walking around with dysregulated emotional systems. They're dysregulated nervous systems most of the time. And we do attune to one another. We really do. We, a human being attunes to other human beings in the environment. So when we are around a regulated nervous system, we feel better. (laughs) You know, I like to think of that your nervous system is like, is like a sound that you emit. You know, it's like a song. It's your heart song and your state is your song. And so the work is to come to a place where you have enough metacognition, concentration, clarity, equanimity to even wake up to the fact that you're you're vibrating in a way that's affecting everybody else and then take ownership of that vibration and play a sweet song with your life, with your heart, with your presence, you know, play something sweet that people say. Yeah. And there's one way to get to that sweet song, which is to go and clear out some of the muck. And I think that thing that is missed often that I see is, Oh, well, I'll play the sweet song. I'll do, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to play the sweet song. And, and what's missed is like, well, actually what's needed is to co- to go inside and clear out some of that stuff. And it's like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Can I do it a different way? Can I just yeah. be of service? Can I, can I volunteer? Can I, you know, do, well, do, you do, see do, that do, often, <laughs> you know, I see people who are kind of, they have like a do-gooder mentality where they'll go to a protest or a volunteer or something and it's like god bless them they're wanting to help but to really help is to just sh- become mindful of your state you know is, is to become mindful of your state and i really like the point that you make because it's not toxic positivity it's not oh just be happy just be happy oh don't be negative be positive that, that makes me gag you know so there is this uh you do need to contact the gunk and be in the gunk. I'll tell people in my, in my one-on-one work, I like, you know, have you ever had the experience of doing a deep clean on your home? That's like a deep clean. I don't mean just a sweep and a mop. 
I mean, a deep clean at some point in between starting and finishing, things are going to be messier than they were when you started. That's, that's what real healing is. So you have to be willing to get a little messy to, to really get the job done. Exactly. And it's not that things like protests are inherently ineffective or don't work. It's exactly what we said about the order of operations. When we do our inner work, then when we do outer action, it's aligned and it's yeah. coming from our grounded. I mean, I'm talking about my pussy, for, I think for men, it's their balls, but the it's your rooted. You are moving forward. Like this is what I'm up to. This is what needs to happen in the world, which is yeah. it can be a different energy than, you know, where you might be coming from if you're not so regulated and you haven't done some of that excavation work. Totally. So. Yeah. So as we're wrapping up here, can you, yeah, just share a little bit about the program that you have coming up and where people can find you and all of that? Yeah. So the program is called Masculine Vitality. Um, it's really a work of art, heart, and smart that I've put together over, you know, 15 years of study. And uh, obviously we're going to explore all the themes that we've discussed here. Um, the best way to get in touch with me is to go to my website. That's savageandsaint.com. And you'll get, see a pop-up to sign up for my newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter because I, I send out an email once or twice a week, like just a reflection of something that comes to mind. And if you sign up for the newsletter and you get a couple of the reflections and you think, yeah, I actually really dig what this is about, that's a pretty good indicator that you'll dig the work. And if it's not for you, then unsubscribe. But I'm, I'm past the point of trying to please everybody. I'm trying to alienate people who aren't down for my message and call <laughs> forth the ones who are. So sign up and then you be the judge. You can also hit me on Instagram, Savage and Saint. And uh, yeah, just email me, you know, and I'll send you the course information. You can find links for everything on both my social social media, Instagram and, and the website. Uh, but I hope, you know, if, if you're listening and you're feeling like you want to make some changes, but you just don't know where to start. I know where to start. So join us. We're getting started in middle February. We're going to take a 12 week journey. And by the time May rolls around, you're going to be a different person. I promise you. And I believe that Jason Lang will be in that program. Hell yeah. He's a good yeah. brother of mine. Can't wait yeah. to have him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have a little success story that I would just share with everyone. And along this line, um, we have, uh, a movement practice that we do in our program. And one of our clients, um, we had talked about a lot of this on our calls, you know, what we're talking about of just kind of when something comes up, allow it to be expressed, allow it to move through your body instead of thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he was doing one of the movement practices and he just had waves of grief come up and he just cried for like maybe an hour, like a pretty long time, a pretty long time. And just sobbing, letting it go, letting it out, letting it move, which was a new practice for him. That was not his go-to, right? And at the time he was single and within, God, I think maybe six weeks, he had met someone and he's now in the healthiest relationship he's been in, in his adult life. And it's yeah. not always going to be, you know, I'm not saying it's always A equals B, but I believe that what he was able to release and allow to move through combined with the intentions he was setting about what he wanted to experience was a large part of why that avenue opened to him. And I think to your point, you know, we think we spend a lot of time avoiding and distracting because we think it's going to, it's like, oh God, if I go there, I'm going to be angry forever or I'm going to be sad forever, right? We have some story about how long it's going to take. But to your point, truly intense can be six seconds and it can move a ton of energy in our systems. It can free up so much stuck shit. That's just like holding, you know, if you imagine squeezing a ball, holding onto a ball like this, you're spending a lot of energy doing that. And then once you release the ball, oh, wow, there's a lot more available. So I think totally. that's, one example of a concrete thing that we have seen, you know, and that's within the past year of just one person in, in the program, taking a step like this and the results on the other side can be pretty extraordinary. Yeah. So I will drop yeah. all of those uh, links that you mentioned in the show notes as well. So if you're listening on the road, don't think that you have to write anything down. We'll have all of those 
all of those ready for you. Is there any last thing that you would share for a man out there who's kind of inspired to up his vitality this year? Yeah, sign up for the course. (laughs) (laughs) Stop stop screwing around and and make this the year that you change your life. I like that. Yeah, well, I would also say, you know, um, if you're having a hard time, uh, things are unfolding as they should. And it could just be if you would open yourself to the possibility that you're being given the perfect amount of pain that you need to become the hero that you were born to be. And it's very possible that you might look back on this pain in the not so distant future and say, God damn, thank God for that pain because it it helped me get my life in order. So keep going, keep going, keep going. I love that. Keep going. We're rooting for you. Yeah. Yeah. 